Well, hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Knowing God, where we encourage those who know Father God and we invite those who don't. I am thrilled today to be able to welcome Nicola Neal among us. Now, a little secret is we have actually done this once and we had some technical issues. We've had to wait a few months, uh, but Nicola has been able to come back again. And so, Nicola, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Again. 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 (laughs) (laughs) We promise that we will stop referring to the again. But um, so knowing God, that's the theme of this podcast, that you can know God. What would you say, we're going straight in, what would you say was your first experience of knowing God? I would say the first experience I can remember well is probably when I was about seven, when I I would say that's the point that I first met Jesus. You yeah. met you met Jesus. Yeah. Well. <laughs> okay. Tell us a bit more about that. What I mean? Yeah. Tell us yeah. a bit more. Uh, I remember it very clearly. Actually, I was at home with my mum and dad, who were Christians, and I'd been next door talking to some friends of my parents, and and they um, had been talking to me about who God is and all those sorts of things. And I walked across into my mum's house and into the kitchen and she was cooking on the stove. I remember it so clearly. And I just said to her, mum, I want to meet Jesus for myself. I want him to be my friend. That was the language that I'd been, um, had expressed to me. In. And um, I remember her just putting you know, the wooden spoon down and taking me into the lounge and then sitting with me and teaching me how to pray. And that was the time that I think I had my first experience of God and when I first properly met him and you say you had an experience of God yeah what what does that mean I I was sat on the lounge uh, on the sofa and um, my mum had just invited me to to talk to God and to invite him to come into my life and so I, I prayed those exact words actually And then I remember feeling like the room began to become very, very still. Like, um, I guess I would describe it like a very deep peace that came over my whole body. And, And I actually began to shake a little bit because it was so powerful. And so to me, I'm a seven years old, very surprising. And I remember just sitting in it kind of very overwhelmed by the physical experience I was having, as well as kind of um, an internal spiritual one. So did you feel different from then on? Yes, I well, I definitely did. And I and I realised that I could go back to that experience at any time I wanted to. So if I was at school or out in the park with my friends and I and I stopped and I began to talk to God, the same feelings would begin to come around me, on me, in me, through me, whatever. So yeah, so it, it, it definitely started quite a big change for me because I was a very, very timid child, very, very fear-based, very frightened of the world. But understanding in my own limited way, because I was seven, that there was this greater being who was with me that I could have access to at any moment began to make me feel stronger and more safe and confident. So it definitely even back then began to change who I was as a child. 
And teenage years, were you a rebel or what was that, what was that like? <laughs> they were up and down. Um, I, I mean, I, I've always had a strong faith since since I was very, very young. Um, but, I, but I went through all the normal teenage questions, challenges, experiences and experiments that you that you live through as a teenager and 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 um, my faith I think held me relatively steady through that time I was actually quite sick uh, between about 14 and 17 so that it was like life was challenging in different ways as well but but I always found myself circling back to I know God is real I know he's for me I know he's with me so wherever I kind of began to wander off into different things, something always drew me back to that place. Because I never I never found in anything else that security and peace and feeling of safety anywhere that I, that I found just with Jesus. So for many people who perhaps don't have a faith or they think they might know about what churches are like and Christianity is mm-hmm. like they would many people would say well it's all about following a set of rules in fact you hear people say oh I'm quite Christian like yeah. like Christian is has become a set of rules but what you are speaking about is absolutely anchored in a relationship yeah definitely so is it true for you then that you could have the two sayings that go together love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind and strength, and number two, do what you like. Would I put those two sentences together? And would it have a, Would that reflect what you have lived? Um, no, I would say, yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And when you love someone, you want to, um, you want to bless them, you want to please them, you want to honour them, you want to express that love in tangible ways and so that informs my life so I don't see my faith as being expressed through a a set of rules and restrictions but I do see my faith expressed through a relationship and how the love that I have for him in that relationship compels me to live a certain way love that absolutely so much the same as in a marriage obviously you're married to Simon Uh, much the same way as in a marriage it's not really a rule that you don't go and kiss another man or another woman in in my case but like why would you want to because I we want to please our spouses and make their day and exactly yeah and so you were unwell between 14 and 17 and then got well yeah I, I became I, well yes I did I would naturally I was on um I was being looked after but there was a very particular defining moment where I, it was like a combination of medicine and then an acceleration of healing through the power of the Holy Spirit that kind of came together in one Ooh. moment yeah can you tell us more? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was very unwell and I was under a, a consultant's care and was at part-time at school and, and, and it was a quite a difficult season in all, in all honesty and the physical challenges that I had led to quite significant emotional 
and mental health challenges because when you're you know 14 15 16 and you literally can't do anything and your your friends are able to do what you can't that's very hard um, but but I as I said before I, I kept circling back to but Jesus but Jesus is with me and he is my strength and he is my peace and he is my everything and then I remember going one Sunday evening we had an evening service I was I was always at every service on a Sunday just because I wanted to be with other people who loved him and be in his presence with other people and, and I just I loved it so no matter how sick I was I was there not because it was a rule, but because I wanted to be in relationship with him and other people who loved him. So I was there and there was a, a guy who was speaking and, and he was talking about the healing power of Jesus. And he was referring to some stories of when Jesus healed people in the gospels. And then he did a call forward for healing. And so I got up and I went to the front and he came and he laid hands on me, as in he put his head on my, on my, on my forehead actually. And, and I felt the power of God flood through my body. And it's so hard sometimes, I think, with spiritual experiences to put English words on them. But it was like power or electricity, sort of, but I could feel something surging through my body and almost like strength coming in a moment. And that was a very defining moment for me it was a huge turning point emotionally mentally and physically and and suddenly there was a there was an acceleration and within a few weeks I was back to full-time school and life and energy and everything else so that was that was quite a big moment for me in my life and early 20s what what was your life like what were you up to I got married I got Ooh. married yeah I got married at 21 and my husband was still a student so I lived near London but he was at university in Bath so I moved to Bath where he was and I worked in an insurance company <laughs> it was incredibly dull but I was thankful for the job so yeah, my early 20s, you know, I just working out how do you do this marriage thing and yeah, building a little life in the city, beautiful city of Bath. And how is the marriage after all these years? Have you worked out how to do this marriage <laughs> thing? I think we're still working it out, <laughs> but uh, he's lovely. We've been married 27 years this wow. summer. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, that is. Yeah. And so I do know, but I don't know how, uh, but anyway, I do know that you ended up being on staff at a church in Bath. Is that correct? Yeah. Both right. of you on staff? Yeah, both of us. And it was something to do with youth. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, my husband was the associate pastor okay. and I was the youth pastor, but also our church was split into three parts, in, out and up. And so as well as being youth pastor, I was also responsible for up. So that was basically worship, prayer, prophecy, intercession, creative and visual arts, that whole kind of intimacy encounter stuff. That was, I had, I had the kind of two sides to my job. So yeah, I was up and I was youth pastor. Okay, so we're going to come on to what happens next in a minute. But I want to ask you a question before then. You... We've got to know you reasonably well, yeah. I would say, and 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 I've read your books. <laughs> um, and one of the things that you seem to have that I think there would be a number of people who would probably say they're jealous of is you seem to have a pattern of encounters with God that rock your world. Yeah. Being really blunt, 
Why do you have them and other people, some other people don't seem to? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. It is, 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 is the short answer. The only the only explanation I can give for it for myself, and that isn't to say that other people aren't doing this at all, I'm not saying that, but since I was seven, I have been on a very tangible pursuit of relationship with God. And, and that has been really my primary pursuit above everything else and become my primary passion above everything else and I give a lot of my time over to nurturing that relationship um, I mean really practically I give a lot of my week over to just spending time with God and growing my understanding of him and my relationship with him so I spend a lot of time in his presence and have done since a child but when I started working at Bath City Church for example uh, I took I would have at least one day a week that was just my whole day was just me and the Lord so I have invested a lot of time in the pursuit of his presence and then I've encountered him and his presence in in really special ways at moments and so I'm sure there must be a correlation with the two of those things uh, I, I, I just yeah but to me, that's just the normal Christian life in a sense. You know, we're all invited into that, but but it does take time. Yeah, because in one of your in. books, didn't you, uh, let me see if I remember this rightly, you you used to play a game with your kids yeah. about who could feel the Holy Spirit first yeah. time. So with traffic, traffic lights. lights. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. right, the traffic so, light game. Yeah, well, I wanted to school my children in the presence of God from when they were very, very small. Um the reason behind that being, number one, relationship with God What exactly me, was the game? Sorry. Well, the what? game was traffic lights. So whenever you got to the traffic lights and they were red, we would all put our hands out in like as if we were about to receive a gift type of posture. And then it would be who first can tangibly feel the presence of God on their fingers. And then, <laughs> you know, I like to think my children were always telling the truth when they said it was them first. I don't know. But I was trying to teach them that he's with us everywhere that we go. Um, and that you can experience God, you know, whatever you're doing. So we, we just practiced his presence like that. Partly because, if I'm honest, I wanted to train my children in being able to be responsible for their own relationship and not having to put that pressure or for them to rely on a church pastor or a children's pastor or a youth leader. It's like, no, you're responsible for your own relationship. So let me tool you up in how to know how to connect and encounter him in every moment of life. So the traffic light game was a really fun, it was a really fun one. And so is it right that those types of encounters, knowing God's presence and having mm. some, probably some physical echo of that or mm. evidence of that that should be the norm for all people who are in a relationship with God I think it's available to everyone and I think scripture is very clear on that if you read um, Ephesians three sixteen, where Paul talks about I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge that you would be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of Christ that word knowing there, if you go back to the root of what that word was used for in the, in the time when, when that letter was written, it is, it, it's, it's defined as an experiential knowing or 
Paul is saying, I pray that you would experience with one or more of your five senses, the reality of who God is. And so I do genuinely believe that the experience of God isn't what we pursue, it's him that we pursue, but actually in our relational knowing of him, it should be experiential and it is available for everybody. So um, we, we move on in a sec, but what would you say to the people who have sat in a chair or they've gone up the front, maybe at a church service or something and said, God, I, I really want to feel you. No, I don't seem hmm. to be feeling anything. Yeah, I would say keep asking for it. Keep positioning yourself. Keep pursuing him. We don't because we, we're not our faith isn't defined by our feelings. We know that. That, you know, that's not what faith is, is it? It's not about what we can see. It's not about what we can feel, but that is available. And so I think I would just say you keep positioning and you keep positioning and you keep positioning and, and get around people who know him in the way that you want to know him. I often say to my my team or my leaders, get around people that you want to be like when you grow up. Not saying that they're, they're young and immature because yeah. a lot of them are in their 30s and 40s, but what I mean is who you want to be like spiritually as you spiritually grow. Get around people who are having the sort of encounters that you want, who know Jesus the way that you want to and learn from them and get them to pray for you and lay hands on you and, and stay by their side and follow. Again, it's a biblical principle. You look at Elijah and Elisha. I mean, just be everywhere that they go. And, um, and and don't don't give up the pursuit. Keep pressing into it, and in the end, you'll break into it somehow. The Lord's faithful; He's kind. And of course, the Bible says, "Draw near to God, and He will draw Absolutely. near to you." It's not. A, it's a promise. It's a promise. Well, it's That's a spiritual that. principle. Yeah. 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 So you um, were working a lot of hours at yeah. the church in Bath, uh, you and Simon, but then some cracks started to show for you? Yeah, definitely. I, um, I'm i an all or nothing person. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And uh, I throw myself completely into things. And yeah, I was working very hard. I, I mean, obviously a mum of two small children, job sharing with my husband. We had, a, we had 120 young people in our youth, so it wasn't small. Um, I was leading a third of the church and I was traveling itinerantly and speaking and and after a while the cracks began to show I, I mean I just burnt out in all honesty um and so ended up needing to take a few months off to stop to rest and to recalibrate myself that was that was a hard season and I remember in your book I think it's journey into love you speak about the very first morning that you had been where you'd been take, given time off effectively and yeah. said, you know what, you need to you yeah. need to rest. And the very first morning, you decided to like get your Bible out and get some worship out. And yeah. all, what, what, so what, <laughs> what happened there? Uh, well, yeah, I'm very tenacious as a person, and I'm a doer, and I'm always I'm always active. I'm always busy. I'm always in pursuit of Jesus and, and other things. And I was exhausted and I needed to stop. But on my first day, you're right, on my first day of my sabbatical, I got up, I got my study books out, I got my teaching series out, I got my Bible and my journals and my highlighters out, you know, ready <laughs> to be in pursuit. And as I set out to do it, I remember picking up my Bible, first of all, I think it was, um, and the Lord saying, close that book. 
And that was really confusing to me because I'm like, is that the voice of Jesus? Would he be telling me not to read my Bible? You know, so I thought, well, I'd put some worship music on. And so I tried to do that. And I had just heard the voice of the Lord say, turn the music off, which again was weird to me. I was like, really, would that be the Lord? So then I went to put on a, a teaching series. It was CDs in those days, mm-hmm. a teaching series. And the Lord said, turn it off. And I was very, very confused by that. And then I just felt the Lord say, I don't want you to read about me, sing to me, study me. I don't want you to do any of those things. I actually just want you to learn again how to just be with me. And I realized that in the busyness of ministry, I had lost that principle, that practice. And I spent many, many days, if not weeks, going into my front room because I was home alone for about eight hours each day and just being in the Lord's presence, which was a huge discipline in the beginning, although I was exhausted, so wasn't really capable of much else, but just learning to be still. It's like Psalm 46, isn't it? Is it verse 10 where it says, be still and know that I am God. And that word again there, to know is the same as the one, same root as the word in Ephesians, be still and experience who I am. And I realized I got so busy doing things for him that I'd forgotten how to spend time with him, with no agenda, just to know him and be Mm. known. So, yeah, I would say that was another defining moment in my life. And it turns out you can go after God without using highlighter pens. You actually can. (laughs) It's possible. I must admit, I do have a set of highlighting pencils that I use in my Bibles. I'll be showing them later. Anyway, um, and then um, you you got called out of what you were doing, where you felt you heard God speak to you and direct you to another country. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I had a four-month sabbatical, and I knew that everything had changed for me. I feel like I could, that is a moment in time where I would say in that, in that sabbatical, I, I, I really began to get to know who God is. Like I, I didn't, I knew him to that point, but not in the way that I've known him since. And so my relationship was going deeper and deeper with the Lord. And then I began to feel, you know, some, some movement and my husband as well of like, okay, well, we've journeyed this far. Our church is beautiful, loved our church family. It was it was vibrant, it was a great community and we loved it very much. Um, but we began to feel like the Lord was maybe wanting to move us on. And then in the September, it was of 2008, the only way I can describe it is that we went through three months of a series of encounters with the Lord where he began to challenge us about certain things and began to lay the poor very much on our heart, particularly the poor uh, within Africa. So yeah, that that was quite an intense three months. I think, you know, we were saying before, I've had many types of encounters with the Lord. That was like a relentless three month long encounter. 
and we received words from all around the world and just catalogues of them and had conversations with people and everything seemed to be shouting Africa. So when you say you received words, what does that mean? Uh, prophetic words being sent via email or through the post, people ringing us up and saying, I was praying for you today and I kept seeing a picture of the continent of Africa or I was praying for you today and the Lord said, ring Nicola and tell her I'm sending you overseas, I'm sending you to go minister to the poor or, you know, things like that. I mean, it was literally every day. It was very, very overwhelming, if I'm honest. Had you been to Africa? No, I'd never been to Africa. I had absolutely zero, zero idea what Africa was like, hadn't got a clue. So that went on for three months. And at the end of that three months, that was September 2008 to the beginning of December 2008. So my husband, myself, and, and, and this amazing man were leading the church, a third each. And we went and said to him, look, this is, this is everything that God has been saying. This is everything that's been happening. These are the encounters that we've been experiencing. It all seems to point to something to do with Africa. So we've never been... What do you think about us going out for like a two-week mission trip? You know, I, I felt like my feet needed to stand on African soil. And I knew that the moment that they did, the Lord was going to talk to us. So, yeah, so we sat there and laid it all out for him. And he was actually going to Uganda that afternoon. And his response was really quite surprising, considering, you know, we're quite key leaders in the church at that time. We, we, we carried quite a lot of the responsibility. And he just said, this is undeniably Jesus. I'm leaving for Heathrow in an hour. I don't think you'll learn anything if you go for two weeks. I actually think you just need to move there. So if you can make that decision now, within the next hour, before I leave for the airport when I arrive in Uganda, because, I mean, Africa's a big place. Uganda would be as good a place to start as anywhere else. I'll find you a house. And that, that, was, quite, that was quite surprising. We, we, we didn't expect him to say that. Yeah. And it's fair to say that while you and Simon are a great combination, he doesn't work the same way <laughs> you do. But I remember um, that Simon basically agreed with him. Yeah, well, we went, he said, take an hour. And I'm like, how do you make a decision? I had two small children, a mortgage, a beautiful church family. And a how do you make a decision in an hour to move your children to a continent you've never been to, to do something that you don't really know what it is? But, but you're right, Simon and I are very different. I'm the kind of more spontaneous, adventurous. I'm not risk, uh, I'm not risk, I'm not scared, I'm not not scared of things. I'm just completely unaware of risk most of the time. It just doesn't register on my brain. Whereas Simon is incredibly cautious. He's a physicist by training. He's very, very systematic and everything and, and, and very slow to make decisions. But we went off for a coffee and he didn't say a word. And I'm thinking he's not saying anything because he just thinks it's all utterly ridiculous. And, you know, he needs three years to prepare for something like that. But after 30 minutes of sitting in silence in Starbucks, he just said to me, baby, this is Jesus. We just need to move. So we did. Yeah. I mean, that to me, Simon's response in that moment was as miraculous as anything else. Because that, that, that's not the man that I knew. So that was really quite extraordinary. Yeah. And we did, we moved, we moved eight, ten weeks later. I can't remember now. But yeah, within three months that we were there. That is crazy. It was, it, was, it was crazy. Yeah. 
selling everything, giving it away. Yeah, the Lord said, give away all of your possessions, you're not coming back. And so we put our house out for rent. We gave away all of our possessions, all our furniture, everything. And we bought four plane tickets. And this amazing guy got us a little house in an African village, just on the outskirts of Kampala, arranged for someone who we didn't know to meet us at the airport, and off we flew. Got taken to this little house in this village in Uganda and dropped at the gate and left to get on with it. Said, hey kids, here's your new home. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was But I think it's wild. fair to say, um, we've only known you since that point, but I think it's fair to say yeah. that, that that has changed your life. Yes, definitely. You seem to have Africa in your, in your bones and in your yeah. heart, as far as I can yeah. ever tell. Yeah. And so what, what have you, uh, for those who don't know, what, what do you do in Africa exactly? So we work in, well, we're in Kenya and we're in Uganda. We work in slum communities in, in sort of um, in an urban context, obviously. And we run all sorts of projects and programs like nutrition programs and uh, medical programs and health programs and things like that, water and sanitation but we do everything through community group training and we do everything in the name of Jesus. We preach the gospel through everything that we do. And we, by default, have ended up seeing, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people also come to faith as well as finding kind of rescue in their here and now also for eternity. And so we've planted a little network of small churches and, um, yeah, all, we do all sorts of things. And by we, you mean every life? Every life, yeah. So when you got there, I know that God spoke to you, as I recall, and said, basically, I'm going to teach you how to love. Yeah. Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. And you have then gone on to obviously create a, a group. You've created every life out of just you two being in that yeah. country yeah. and obviously drawing people to you in the work that you do. And yeah. so obviously that, oh my goodness, I could ask you so many questions about Africa, but obviously the subject of this mm. podcast is knowing God. Yeah. So because you claim to know God, have a relationship with him, claim to hear from him, mm. you have basically upped your stable nice thank you very much life in the yeah. UK and gone to the edge of Kampala and then haven't even worked in the nice places in Kampala but no. have then effectively sold your lives out to go and spend time in the in the slums and have basically been doing that ever since yeah so if you don't know God then you must be barking mad, Frank. I mean, it's got to be one or the other, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> not much middle ground there. <laughs> there, is, there is, that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. So what kind of things, um, tell us a bit more, what kind of things have you seen God do while you've been in Africa? Wow, I mean, I, I, there's so much that I've seen him do. Um let me ask you this, then. what's okay. the most surprising thing that you never could have predicted that God would have done? And then he's, you've seen, you've seen that thing happen. I, th I think I would say, I mean, we've seen, we've seen the miracles, the signs and the wonders, sure. right? Salvations. We've seen the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk. We've seen whole villages come to faith in a day. We've seen multiplication of food. We, you know, we've seen all of those things on on a on a regular basis i think it would be fair to say um but i th but there are some moments that 
I, that have surprised me in the way that God has worked through things that I didn't think he would be working in. My, probably my favourite example of that and probably because you're absolutely right when we went the Lord said I'm taking you to Africa to teach you how to love which was really quite a shocking statement to me and and, and it genuinely does describe what the journey of the last 13 years have been which is a journey into understanding love as his definition of love not the world's definition of love They're to they are really totally different things um, and his definition of love you can read it 1 Corinthians 13 so we've been learning about the power of love and what true Christ-centered love looks like um, expressed through our lives and the power of it. And I think probably for me that the most surprising thing I've seen the love of God accomplish was when my friend, she lives in a particular slum on the outskirts of Kampala, her beautiful lady, very, very poor, her daughter was very sick and dying of malnutrition. We rushed them to the hospital and we got a phone call to say this little child had taken a bad turn and we took mummy and the baby there and the doctors were doing everything they could to stabilise the child and save its life. And, and I thought, you know, we're going to win this one. That was my conviction. This child's going to live because we're always fighting for life in what we do, literal life and death. And so they, the hospital were happy to keep the baby overnight and so we took mummy home because that's what she wanted to a little slum house. And the next day picked her up, drove, drove to the hospital and on the way there get the phone call to say that the child had died. And it was very, very devastating and incredibly painful, disappointing, confusing, all of those things. And she, of course, is absolutely grief stricken. We get to the hospital, we always pray for the dead to be raised, it's just what we do. We've seen it but not very often. We prayed over this child, she wasn't raised and so we loaded mummy and this little child's body into our car and delivered them back to the community, to the slum and then we helped bury her and to be honest we just sat and wept with them because we were, we were heartbroken. But the amazing thing about this story is a few weeks later, we had a phone call from this mummy, her name's Olivia, and she wanted to see us. And so we went to see her and she said, I need to talk to you. I saw my daughter in a dream last night and she appeared in front of me and said, mummy, do not mourn, receive comfort. I'm with Jesus, you need to follow him. She was, they were a beautiful Muslim family. And so she's like, I need to meet that Jesus do you know anyone who knows him? <laughs> so I'm like, well, yeah. So we give her the gospel and she meets Jesus in, in, in the dirt of, you know, the, the corridor of the slum. But just prior to that, a few, a few, maybe two weeks before, her husband was so grief stricken and so unable to function that he had just left. He had just left her and disappeared. And so she had no income, no support. She got thrown out of her house. She's living on the street. She's there for two weeks, then she has the dream, and then she meets Jesus. A couple of days later, her husband returns home and finds her living on the street and sits her down and says, Mummy, I had a, a dream a few nights ago where our daughter appeared and she said, Daddy, do not mourn, receive comfort. I'm with Jesus, you need to follow him. And so he said to his wife, we need to find someone who knows this Jesus. So she said, it's okay, I know him. And she introduced her husband to him. 
But what's so incredible to me about that story, because if you meet her now, and I'm sure you will meet her one day, when if you meet her now, she's so full of light and joy and peace, like it radiates out of her like no one else I've ever met. She is extraordinary. You just want to be around her because she's just peace and life and all of those things and in her community is a pillar of strength in her community. And I sat with her interviewing her for one of my books and I had a question and my question was, why? Like, why would you decide to follow Jesus? If when we had prayed for her child, when they, she was sick, if she'd been healed, I would have got it. That's what, yeah. that's when you decide to follow Jesus. Or if when we prayed for her child to be raised from the dead, if she had been raised from the dead, and then mommy decided to follow Jesus, that I would have understood. But yeah. I remember sitting in front of her and saying, you know, I need you to help me. Like, why? Why did you? She, did, she wasn't healed. She wasn't raised. We literally helped you put her body in the ground. And then you decide to follow Jesus. Why? And she made a statement that was so stunning to me that it stayed with me ever since, never left me. And she just said, through my daughter's death, I saw love. I saw Jesus. And I just started to cry. And I just said, so well, how? Like, how? Literally. And she just said, through you. She didn't really mean me particularly, she meant our team, through the way that you cared for my sick child, through the way you carried her dead body, through the way you helped dig the hole in the ground and when you wept, I saw love, I saw Jesus. And that for me has been one of the most incredible things that I have seen the Lord do. And the scripture that went round my head is where it says, where O death is your victory, where O death is your sting, doesn't mean it's not painful. But death doesn't get to have the final say. Love conquers everything, even death itself. And so seeing the power of God at work in people's pain and suffering is almost more breathtaking to me than when I see the healing, the sign and the wonder. So, I mean, we've seen, we've seen his love come in so many ways and, and transform lives in so many extraordinary and unusual ways ways and and every every day at the moment because there's a lot happening at the moment our mission but really for the last 12 years I've 13 years I've been constantly surprised by what God can do within anything nothing is outside of his ability to come and bring beauty even even mm. in death mm. yeah and so what would you what are you longing to see that you haven't seen yet what are you longing for i want to see total transformation and i want to see the eradication of slum communities that's my that's my ultimate dream where we are working in kampala in in kasumu my 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 dream is that slums don't exist anymore that we see the poor raised up and it's not that, raised up isn't really actually quite the right word, but to see the gifting and the beauty and the potential of who they are and who God's made them to be fully released and utilized and for them to rise up and to see community after community after community completely transformed till there is no malnutrition and there is no prostitution and there is no addiction. These places are completely transformed from being slum communities into kingdom communities where just the life and presence of Jesus is seen in every home. That's my dream and we're far from it but we're making 
small steps mm. towards it. So fanciful or possible? Possible. Definitely possible. Has to be possible. All things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. I absolutely believe it's possible. And I feel like it's my life pursuit. Yeah. And do you think you'll see it in your lifetime? Uh, if I don't, then I pray that the generation coming up behind me do, but I'm going to live my life as if it's totally possible in my lifetime and I'm not going to settle for anything less. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. If you don't get to see it in your lifetime and then, um, you know, you're welcomed at the gate by St Peter or whoever, (laughs) that is going to be one interesting conversation. God, are you having a laugh? Come on, send me back. Job's not done. <laughs> yeah, we have a big job to do. <laughs> Indeed. Well, it's it's just been such a joy to spend time with you. Thank you so, so much. What I would love, would you mind just um, praying for our listeners in however you feel, and then I'll wrap up after that. Is that sure, right? yeah. Father, we thank you that you know each one of us by name that you formed us, that you created us and that you called us forth and you have filled us with so much potential and possibility in you and I just pray for myself and I pray for everyone who is listening that we would be those who by your grace and by your kindness truly know not only who you are as a good and faithful, powerful, wonderful God, but who we are as your children and what that means for our lives and the outworking of your kingdom through us. So Lord, I pray that you would enable us to know you more And I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, amen. Well, thank you uh, to you, Nicola, for joining us today. We're so grateful. And uh, if anyone uh, out there listening has questions or they want to know more, they want to find out more, they how do I step into this relationship with Jesus? What does this exactly look like? Then I'd invite you to email me. You can email me directly, actually. Go for chris at numachurch.uk and I will do my best to respond directly to you. But thank you so much for listening and we will see you again next time. Mm